Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Bible Center. I am Pastor Mike, if we have not had a chance to meet. Uh, this year, my wife and I celebrated our 25-year wedding anniversary. And I don't know if you're like, thank you, thank you. That's for her more than for me. Um, <clears throat> Like every five years, we plan on doing some sort of trip. Like at 10 years, we thought, all right, we're gonna do something. Couldn't happen, 15 years, 20 years, kids, work, just it never worked out. But this year, we're actually gonna go to Colorado. Uh, Yesterday, I was sitting outside and I've got it all planned out. We've never been out west. We've never personally seen the mountains and the Rockies. Now we've had people who've told us about the Rocky Mountains. We've seen pictures of the Rocky Mountains. We've, I've watched those National Geographic like videos about the mountains, so I've seen a lot, but it's gonna be very different than when we show up and actually are walking on the trails in the Rocky Mountains. That's why you fly out and do it. Hearing about it is so much different than actually doing it. And in many ways, that's kind of what I'm hoping for for us this summer and this morning, is that we wouldn't be okay just hearing about what God is like that we wouldn't be okay just having descriptions that someone else says about their experiences with God, but rather we ourselves would want to be at the base of God's mountain and to behold him and to stare at him and to get to know him. So that's part of my hope for this series. This series is called Behold, Then Sings My Soul. When we show up in Colorado, we're gonna get to be able to feel the mountains. We'll see the snow-capped peaks We'll see the rocks, we'll see the animals, we'll see the tree line. It's gonna do something to us. My hope is, as we spend time in God's word, beholding God, that it does something to us. So that second part of the title, Then Sings My Soul, if we're really witnessing God and beholding God and soaking in who he is, there is some response where our heart just says, how great you are, how majestic is your name, and praise just kind of comes forth from our soul. So part of this beholding, it turns into worship. And I would even go so far to say it turns into transformation. The big idea for this morning and kind of partly for the series is beholding God's glory changes us. Beholding God's glory simply changes us. And one of our cornerstone verses for today and kind of for the summer is 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this, but we all with unveiled faces, So we all, all who are Christians with nothing between us and God, the unveiled face is this idea that Jesus has torn the veil and we have access to God. So, but we all with unveiled faces, beholding or gazing as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. So the action in this verse is the beholding. The imperative, the call to us is to gaze, to look, to perceive, to pursue, to behold. That's what we're called to do. And then it says, we are then being transformed. So it doesn't say this, it doesn't say, behold God, work on yourself. Behold God, spend a little more time working on yourself. It just says, you just keep beholding. And then God kicks into gear and he works in our life and he transforms us as we simply gaze and pursue and stare at him. This idea of the glory of the Lord, it's his character, his presence, his person, his attributes, his nature. So as we get to know him for who he is, this process of change 
and transformation just begins to happen. So as I see him in this mirror, I start to see myself also being changed. Because beholding God's glory, it just changes us. Everything about us, inside and out. This week, my hope is that we slow down and we take the time this morning to behold. And that begins something in us where Monday we slow down, Tuesday we slow down. And today we're gonna talk about, like John mentioned, how God is not like us. So I just, I need to prepare you. Um, we're gonna be talking about how big, huge, incomprehensible God is today. So I'm gonna push you, even as I've studied this, I'm getting pushed. Like human language does not do the person of God character, it doesn't do him justice, like it falls short. So I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try, and you're gonna feel it. And there's gonna be a point halfway through the sermon where you're gonna think, Mike should just be done talking, we should be done now, but I'm gonna keep going. Maybe this is something you listen to more than once. I want us to go after it this morning. I want us to behold who God declares himself to be. So last week, John talked about how he's like us. He loves us when we show that love to others. Today is how he's not like us. God is actually other, existing on a whole nother plane than we do. And when the Bible talks about us beholding, it's not passive, it's active. So today we're gonna go active into this. So there's many ways where God is uniquely God. God is uniquely God. There's no description that works. There's no example from life that truly fits. God is simply God. He is simply other, made of other stuff, distinct in who he is. There's a tendency for us, because we watch TV and oftentimes in a program or a TV show, it gives us an example of what they think God is like. And usually it's like a oversized human who lives in the sky, right? There's a tendency to see that and to hear that. And then whether you like it or not, it starts to kind of get stuck in your head that that's what God is like. But I want to declare to you that that is not what God is like. He's not like a big human, a little smarter than us and a little stronger than us who lives in the sky. He's other, he's so much bigger than that. So I want you even this morning to take any of those images, any of those thoughts, put them to the side and let God's word speak for God himself. So this morning, we're gonna look at several realities and truths about God. We're gonna look at the fact that he is above all. The fancy word for that is that he is transcendent. He transcends all of his creation. He lives outside of it. Then we're gonna spend some time talking about the fact that God is all powerful. All power, all movement, all energy in the universe comes from him and is maintained and sustained by him. Then we're gonna talk about the fact that God knows everything. He's all-knowing, omniscient. There's not a thing that goes by that he's not completely and fully aware of. And then we'll end by talking about the fact that God is of infinite value and worth. Infinite value and worth. Let's start with the fact that God is above all. We're gonna be in Isaiah 40, if you like to turn in your Bibles there. Isaiah 40 verse 18 says this. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? What the author is saying here is if you take God and you try to compare something to God, you're always gonna fall short. To what, to who will you compare God? There is no right comparison. What will you liken him to? Everything falls short. We need to recognize the fact that God dwells outside of time, space, and matter. 
God dwells outside of time, space, and matter. God made those things. He therefore is not controlled by those things. And that's impossible for us to imagine. You have never spent a single moment of your life living outside of time or space or matter. Every moment of every day of your life, you're constrained by those things. God is never for one moment constrained by those things. When we say time, we're talking about past, present, and future. All of those are God's. And because God made it, God actually fills all times, all the time. God is actually in the past, he's in the present, and he's in the future. How is that possible? I don't know. But time does not constrain God. His presence and his being fills all of time. Why can he write the book of Revelation with such stark detail and description? Because he's already there. He's not constrained by time like you are, the passing of moments. He is who he is, and he lives above, beyond, and fills time. He is always present, everywhere, always at the same time. God is always present, everywhere, always at the same time. There's also space, height, width, and depth. That's what we use oftentimes to measure things. You can't measure God. He lives outside of space. When it comes to matter, we're thinking of things like solid, liquid, and gas. Like Those are the things that we're made up of. You're made up of solid, liquid, and gas. Some of you are made up of more gas than others, but you know, we're made up of those things. God, though, is spirit. God is not made up of any of those things. He's not bound by those things. So when it comes to time, space, and matter, I want you to know all of it bows to God. All of it worships God. All of it is controlled and contained by God, not the other way around. He is not restrained. He is not controlled. He is not contained by any of these things. He stands outside of creation. He's transcended over his creation. And here's the amazing thing. As he stands outside of time, space, and matter, God then chooses to reach into time, space, and matter. He reaches in because he chooses to. He doesn't have to. He dwells outside of it, but he reaches in to engage, to connect, to interact, to seek, and to save. God chooses to do those things. Creation does not function as a cage for God. If you went out and bought like a big uh, washing machine, you get that, the big cardboard box and you slide the washing machine out and you're like, all right, I've got kids. And then you put some wings on it, you pretend like it's a spaceship, you draw on it, and then you climb into it to play with your kids. Are you then forever bound by your cardboard spaceship? No, you can get in and you can get out. In a very rudimentary way, when God made creation, he's not then bound by it. He can go into it, and he can also dwell outside of it. And because he's God, he can do both at the very same time. And because, because God dwells outside of his creation, because God is transcendent above it, he can be all-powerful over it. He can know everything about it. It's his. He made it. He fills all of it. And he also is of infinite worth in comparison to it. Just like you're more valuable than your cardboard spaceship. 
So let's talk about the fact that God is all powerful. The fancy word for all powerful is omnipotent. All power, all power is his. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. And these are pictures that God gives us through Isaiah just to get a glimpse of how big he is. And again, even as he's giving us these glimpses, they're still less than what he is. They're just something for our mind to begin to brew on and think about and behold the power and majesty of God, he says. Who has measured the waters, that is the waters of the earth, in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand, the breath is pinky to thumb, has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. That first phrase, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? God gives us this picture because he wants us to think about it. So let's spend a little time thinking about it. 71% of the earth's surface is covered by water, 71%. 99%, and this is a fact I've never heard of before, 99% of the Earth's biosphere, that is, the spaces and places where life exists. 99% of those spaces and places where life exists is in the water. So you have the land, which you just live on the land, but with the water, there's, you can live at different fathoms all the way down through the water. 99% of the space where life is, is in the water. If you put together the five largest seas, it would equal 300 and 52 quintillion gallons of water. That's 352 with 18 zeros. I did not know what that number meant, uh, but that's a lot. Let me give you another visual example. This is one gallon of water. So God, in the hollow of his hand, 352 quintillion gallons of water just reside in his hand. That's how powerful our God is. If I were to pour this jug out, would it fit in the hollow of my hand? No, I wouldn't be able to do it. Just one gallon, one. So for God, 352 quintillion gallons of water, the waters of the earth, are like that to him, like that. That's what one gallon looks like to the average person. This is the kind of God that we serve. This is how he describes himself. When we think about God, this is the enormity of who he is, the power that he has. That is what our God is like. He goes on to say, with the breath of his hand, he has marked off the heavens. So in the Old Testament, when they had read this, marked off the heavens, they would be thinking about what is observable, like what they can see. Like even now you can see the skies over there and you'd look above and you look over there. And what they're saying here, what Isaiah is saying is God simply took the breath of his hand and just marked off those visible heavens. Nowadays, we have telescopes. The diameter of observable space that we now have is 93 billion light years. So if the Earth's in the middle, it's about 46 billion light years this way and about 46 billion light years this way. That's the observable space that we can see. And of course, it goes on beyond that. And when it's talking about the heavens here, it's talking about all the heavens. So the picture that it's giving us is that God simply, when it comes to billions of light years, he just did this. 
There we go, right there, stop right there, there you go. And God marked off the heavens with the span of his hand. I don't, under, I don't understand a single, like the idea of a light year, can't fathom it. And God takes billions of light years with that space of his hand, just marks them off. That's the type of God that you serve. That's how powerful he is. It goes on to say in Isaiah 40, 28, it says, do you not know, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. If I had you guys all get up right now, and there's a bunch of stairs in this building. I said, all right, we're running stairs. It actually, it's actually pretty fun to do if you like running stairs. But if I got you all get up and start running stairs, there's a point where you would wear out. There'd be a point where me and all of you would be holding onto our knees. Pastor Mike, I'm done. Can't do another stair. It would hit you. God spoke all of creation into being. There was nothing. And he said, let there be. And he created absolutely every single atom, star, galaxy in the whole world. Everything in the universe, all of creation, he spoke into being. And before he spoke into being, he was totally upright, felt totally good. Spoke it all into being. On the other side, he never grabbed his knees. There was no loss of energy for God from having nothing created to creating everything. He had an equal amount of strength and energy because he does not grow weary. He does not grow tired. When you have all energy, all power, you never ever have to hold onto your knees. He could do stairs all day long. That's the God that we serve. Not a single atom, neutron or electron moves or spins without reliance on the power of God because the God who created everything is the same God who maintains and sustains everything. All movement always at all moments is coming from the power of God. A wave does not crash. A cloud does not drift. A dolphin does not crest the water without the power of God in motion and in action. Our world stays on its axis, on its axis and continues to revolve around the sun by the power of God. Each and every galaxy moves and shifts based upon the power of his hand. So nothing, absolutely nothing moves or has its being outside of the creating and sustaining work of our God, our all-powerful God. So the verse that we looked at before in 2 Corinthians said, as we behold God, we are transformed. We are changed. One of the things that this understanding of God does is it changes our perspective a little bit on ourselves and the people around us. So some of the things that start to stick out to me as my perspective changes in light of this incredible God who is, I start to realize that it's just not all about me. And for you, it's the whole thing, it's not just about you. It's so much bigger than that. It's actually about him. My life is actually not my own. All the power I have, all the power you have is from him. Who am I that he would choose to maintain me, make me, sustain me? My life sits in the palm of his hand, just like the waters of the earth. I am his. You are his. And the hand that I sit in, is the hand that made and moves the galaxies. 
It also asks me make, asks, has me ask the question, why? Why would God care about us? Why would he know you and I by name? Why would he choose to seek out those who have rebelled against him? Why would he save those people who've rebelled against him at cost to himself? Why would God do those things? So I'm no longer in a position where I'm pointing at God, telling him what I want. Now I'm pointing at God saying, why do you know me? Why do you care about me? It's all about you, it's not about me. And when I understand that, there's this move in my heart where all of a sudden I'm filled with appreciation, thankfulness, awe, gratitude, wonder. Why would he direct his gracious love towards me? Why would he direct his gracious love towards you? And then my soul starts to feel that. And my soul wants to sing, how great thou art, how wonderful you are, how majestic is your name. That's an appropriate response to the greatness and power of our God. Because beholding God changes everything about us, including our hearts and the song of our souls. Let's talk about the fact that God is all-knowing. So we're gonna keep pushing. He's transcendent. He has all power. He's omnipotent. And now we're gonna talk about the fact that he knows all things. Isaiah 40, verse 13 says this. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? These are rhetorical questions saying, God never needed a single thing from anyone. There's never a point where he lacked understanding or needed a counselor or a teacher or some input from another person. When it comes to human knowledge, because this is what we have to compare it to, human knowledge. When it comes to human knowledge, the Carnegie Institute, a bunch of bright people, says this. Over the last two decades, we have learned that we fundamentally do not understand the stuff that comprises 95% of the universe. Things like dark energy and dark matter. Like these are some of the top scientists on planet Earth and they're saying, we maybe get 5%. We're starting to wrap our heads around 5% of what's out there. The rest of it, beyond understanding. And God gets all of it. He sees 100% of all of it. All the stars, planets, and galaxies that can be seen today make up about 4% of the universe. The other 96% is made up of stuff that astronomers cannot see, they cannot detect, and they cannot comprehend. So all those big, huge things, God sees those things, he gets those things, he understands those things, and at the same time, he knows the internal things. He knows your thoughts. He knows your desires. He knows your wants. He knows your perceived needs and your actual needs. In fact, he knows them better than you know them. He knows your temptations. He knows your struggles. Your God knows absolutely everything there is to know about you. And at the same time, God also knows all of the ifs, the buts, the would'ves, the could'ves, and the maybes. In Matthew eleven twenty one, it says this, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if miracles occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus is saying, if this would have happened, this is what would have happened. It didn't actually happen 
but Jesus still knows what would have happened if it had happened. He knows the would-haves and the could-haves. He knows all possible scenarios and all potential outcomes of everything happening all the time. Whether you speak this word or you speak this word, whether you use this tone or you use this tone, it doesn't matter. Jesus knows how that works out for you and how it works out in the world. He knows that about you. He knows that about every single person around you. So if the above is true, well, so God also never has moments of confusion. God never gets stuck not knowing how something works. When my wife and I bought our first home, we didn't know how lots of stuff worked. In fact, I still don't know how lots of stuff works. Um, my tendency is if there's something that's a little bit broken, by the time I'm done fixing it, it's now broken beyond repair and we now have to call someone. I can take a $50 problem and turn it into a $300 problem, no time at all. If my wife was here, she would have given me an amen for that. So we bought this house that had a sunroom off of the bedroom. It was a sunroom. I never thought to, to ask the question, is it heated and cooled? Well, the answer is no. It was not heated or cooled and it had a half bath in it. Why would you do that? So it has a half bath in it. Now we have, a, we have a bathroom, a full bathroom, just down the hallway. But in the middle of the winter, we would not use that room. Except for my wife one night, wakes up and rolls out of the bed and goes into the sunroom in the middle of the winter and uses the half bath. Sorry if this grosses you out. She uses it. She comes back in and she pokes me. She says, hey, Mike, 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 Mike. Yeah, what's going on? I use the bathroom. Great. Mike, is frozen. What do you mean it's frozen? Mike, it's frozen. I went to the bathroom and it's still on top. What? It's completely frozen. So it's outside and it's not heated. So the toilet, the water inside of it is a huge ice cube. So of course, if you go to the bathroom on an ice cube, it doesn't go anywhere. So I said, it's gonna be frozen in the morning. I'll deal with it in the morning. So I wake up in the morning and we have this five gallon chili pot. I put the whole thing on our gas stove with fire, eventually starts to boil. I'm like, I got this. I walk into the freezing cold sunroom. I start pouring it onto the toilet. You know what happens? You put boiling water onto a frozen toilet. It just disintegrates. Like the whole thing just starts breaking and falling apart. So I'm pouring the water on and I'm seeing the toilet disintegrate in front of me, like literally disintegrate. And so now the tile, which is up against the carpet, I start realizing there's boiling pea water. So I start yelling, I start yelling to my wife, boiling pea water, boiling pea water, get towels, boiling pea water. So as the toilet falls apart and there's this yellow boiling water and then there's this huge ice cube floating on top of it, my wife runs in and we try to stop the boiling pea water from getting on the carpet. That was a toilet. So when it comes to you and me, even some of those little things, like we just don't know how to make it work. Sometimes we make it worse, but God never makes it worse. God never breaks a toilet like that. So if all the things that we've said above are true about God's knowledge, here's a couple of things that stick out. One, God is never reacting. God is never thrown off guard. God is never surprised. God never needs improvisation or innovation because he already knows how it's gonna work out. He can see every outcome and every potential outcome in your life and the lives of the people around you. Even though he knows everything, we will not know everything. He will always have a perspective that's bigger, broader, more accurate than us. The question isn't, will I understand what God's thinking? The question is, will I trust the God who I love? So when it comes to this beholding thing again, where we behold God and he changes us, another perspective that I think has to change is how we view the hardest questions in life. You know what I'm talking about. 
the evil, the hardship, the death, the diagnosis? How do you deal with the hardest things in life? I have a good friend who's been trying to share the gospel with one of his older friends. And his older friend is at the point where he may not be alive much longer. So he flew to Kiowa Island to have a discussion with him to share the gospel again. He's shared the gospel with him multiple times. He's demonstrated the love of Christ to him multiple times. And this fellow looks at him with tears in his eyes and he just says, the way that I watched my son die, how can I possibly trust the God that you're talking about? What do you say to that? If you were in that conversation and he looked at you and you can tell he's feeling every word that he's saying, what would you, how would you respond? Do you have a quick fix to that? There's just a reality that we will not be able to give human satisfaction to those types of questions. There's nothing we can say to fix that or to put a Band-Aid on it. It's the real world difficulties that are beyond what we can understand. God talks about this in Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine, he says this. For my thoughts, God's thoughts, are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than your ways and your thoughts. There is never a point where we're gonna fully get it from God's perspective. You can't, we can't get it from God's perspective. Only God who sees all things, who invades all of time at the same time, only God who knows all things, past, present, and future, only that God can see how things work out, why things work out, and why he allowed certain things to happen and not other things. We cannot see these things from his point of view. We will never have a full and complete understanding. We have to recognize God is beyond us in form and fashion and function and essence and nature. God is simply other. And because of that, we will not be able to see things from his perspective or see things the way he sees things. God says he's loving and he is, and he defines what that means. We don't define it, he does. He's compassionate, he's kind, he's good, he's patient, and he is, but he's also all-knowing. He's also all-powerful, he's also transcendent. So there's a point where you have to say and I have to say, God, I don't understand. God, I can't understand, but I trust you. I don't get it, but I'll trust you. I can't see it, but you can, so I'll trust you. In this moment, even right now, some of you have questions that you can't answer. There's no satisfactory way of looking at your situation and the pain and the hurt and the death that's around you. In those moments, we can't point to answers. We point to God. You can't point to answers that satisfy. All you can do is point to God and remember the things that God's taught us about himself. The fourth point is that God is of infinite value and worth. Isaiah 40, 15 says this, "'Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket, they are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altars of fire, nor is animals enough for burnt offerings. In other words, if you cut down all the trees in this country and took all the animals 
is still not enough sacrifice to be worthy of our God. Before him, all nations are as nothing. They are regarded as worthless and less than nothing. He's talking about us. He's talking about creation in comparison to God. We, they, us is as nothing. But wait, Mike, doesn't, doesn't God love us? He does love us, but that doesn't change the reality of his worth versus our worth. He is of infinite worth and value. We are made by his hands. And in comparison, God is worth so much more than we are. It goes back to your cardboard spaceship. No matter how nice it is, you're worth far more than your cardboard spaceship. But here's the thing that should blow us away about God's love. Even though the distinction and the contrast is so stark, so huge, infinite in fact, God has chosen to turn his eyes and to look at us and to love us and to know us by name, to seek us, to pursue us, and even send his son to save us. That's how much he loves us. The comparison is that great. And God bridges the gap with his love, with his compassion, with his care. So we soak in who this God is, and it changes the kind of questions that we ask. It changes our perspective on ourselves and on our world, on the things that happen in our world. Our whole being is impacted when we gaze, when we behold, when we see, when we pursue, when we reach our hands out towards God. When that happens, we begin to stand in awe and wonder and our heart and our soul begins to be molded and changed to look more like him. Worship comes out, it billows out of us. How great you are, O Lord. It's not so much anymore about just me or my little quirks and struggles. It's about him and his bigness and his greatness and his plans for the world and the universe. It's in these moments of looking at God being transcendent above all, knowing that he's all powerful and all knowing and of infinite worth. It's in these moments that we realize that beholding God's glory, it changes us. It transforms us. It radically turns us into someone who knows him more and looks more like him. So here's my charge to you for this summer. It's very similar to what John said last week. It's very similar to what we'll probably say again next week. Like this morning, we spent some time to pursue God. We sat back and we beheld God. You let me push you from God's word. Thank you for that. Keep doing it. We did it today on Sunday. Do it on Monday. Pursue God on Tuesday. Set aside some time on Wednesday to sit back, to watch, to perceive, to gaze. Do it with intentionality. Give yourself time and space in your schedules and your relationships to have conversations about God. Isaiah 40 is where we spend our time this morning. Go back to Isaiah 40. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your kids about what you read in Isaiah 40, how big God is. The pictures that God gives us are amazing, astounding. Spend some time thinking about that. The waters of the earth in the hollow of his hands. The heavens marked off by the span of his pinky to thumb. God sees all, he knows all. Nothing goes into motion without the power of God enacted to sustain and maintain those things. Like, you sit in it. You just sit in it and you think about it and let it blow you away. It's okay if you get stuck mentally because you're not gonna fully understand it. You can know God truly, but you and I will never know God fully and completely. He's always slightly beyond, slightly other. So this summer, turn your gazing 
into worship. Allow God to fill you and let your soul sing. May your life be filled with how great you are, O Lord. And though you might not always have the answers, you're always gonna have him. And beholding the glory of God changes everything about you. So this summer, let's go for it. Let's pursue, let's do it with his help. Let's pray. Father, to stand in your presence and to realize how powerful you are makes us feel so small, as it should. And Lord, I pray that we would sit back and look up, that we would realize who you are and what you're like. Overwhelm us with your person, with your attributes, with how you describe yourself in scripture. May we be a people that pursue our God. And in doing so, we are changed to be more like you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.